Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, where we educate and inspire people to live fuller lives through mindful practices. Let's get started with your host, New York Times contributor, leadership advisor, sought-after keynote speaker, the author of the Amazon hot new release, Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World. She's smart, strong, sassy, and a trendsetter in the field of mindful leadership. Your host, Holly Duckworth. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Mindfulness Show. My name is Holly Duckworth. I am your host and I am so excited to bring to you my first guest of 2019, a dear friend, an expert in a topic that we are all going to need in 2019, tenacity. I am bringing to you today my friend Keith Renanson, who is the author of the book Tenacity. You don't have to get lost in Nepal to find yourself, but it helps. Welcome to the show, Keith. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Happy New Year. So, <laughs> Same so to you. you. So you're leaning into this word tenacity. Can you tell us, you know, this is a cool word, but we don't, it's not a word we hear very often, just like mindfulness. So what is tenacity? In a single another word, grit. And that's probably a word that most people will connect with a little faster. But tenacity held some strength for me uh, as you read the title of, of my book. It, uh, it came about while I was gone. And I started looking for things that I was journaling every day that I wanted to do when I got back home. And as soon as I discovered that I was lost, my, I, I became tenacious and obviously trying to find my way back out but also in making sure that I was keeping track of, of my, my own mindfulness of what was going on in, in the moment and recording it. So when I got home, I had a good, uh, a good uh, feedback to be able to look at as to what I was going through. Because as I was halfway through it, it's, I, it dawned on me, uh, you, you've got a book that's going to show up here. <laughs> so um, it, was, it made the whole thing worthwhile. And tenacity is just one of those words that has nice ring to it. it it's about strength and commitment and responsibility and and pushing through the difficulties and challenges of life and getting you to the other side where uh, where you're, you're a little bit more happy maybe because you've been going through a challenge and uh, so yeah I love tenacity I think it's a pretty cool word we live with a life of words that's kind of how I start my speaking out when I'm uh, giving a keynote is I, I say we're going to discuss the important words of life today and there's going to be four words that I'm going to bring up that I want you to hear from me but I want you to record the the words that are important to you especially those internal words the ones that oftentimes are negative and the ones that we need to kind of let slide to the background and bring to the forefront those that are more positive so let, let's go back to go forward a little bit so um, tell the listeners about your trip to Nepal. How how did you come 
through this experience to get to Nepal. I mean, not everybody gets to go to, to Nepal. And this, is, this story is a backdrop for your life learning system. Yeah, I had been to Nepal once before, and these were in the 90s. Uh, I'm 71 years old now. And I went first in 93 with a friend and fell in love with the country. We had a guide and a porter, and we uh, went to an area called the Annapurna Sanctuary and got to get to some very beautiful mountains, uh, one of which is on the cover of the book. It's called, called Himchuli. You can kind of see it in the background. And a uh, 27,000-foot peak. There were six of them in, the, in sort of a horseshoe region that we hiked into. And we trekked back in there over a two-week period of time. And I just fell in love with it. You know, being a Colorado boy, I grew up in the mountains. I went fishing and hunting and skiing and all kinds of things in Colorado. So the mountains were comfortable to me. And I really loved the Himalayas because uh, you can't imagine a mountain that's 27,000 feet tall. It's just incredible to be able to see something that's that high. And so when I got home, I finished my first book. I had gone through some life challenges uh, that were really starting to weigh on me. I had been divorced twice. I'd had other relationships that had fallen apart. And even though my insurance and financial planning practice was doing well, I'd, ha I'd had side businesses that had failed. And uh, I took a lot of uh, pride in, in my businesses. And when those failed, it really made me take second glances at my life and how I was doing things. So I decided to go back to Nepal again. Uh, and as many of my friends have said to me, you had to go get lost to find yourself. And that's really sort of what happened. Uh, when I landed in, in Kathmandu on the second trip, they were unloading body bags uh, from helicopters of uh, trekkers that had been killed near Everest, which is where I was going to trek on that trip. But, and I had a trekking permit that was already issued, but they took it away from me. Uh, they'd received 12 feet of snow over four weeks, and uh, the avalanches were just terrible. So I had to completely redesign my trip on the fly upon arriving in Kathmandu. I had no idea about the area that I chose to go into, which was in the northeastern corner of the country. Uh, and I was trying to get to a mountain called Kankanjunga. And I never got there. I got lost instead. So uh, everything was leading up to this trip was me trying to figure out my midlife crisis, my mid-career crisis, who I was, where I was going, you know, all those things that we struggle with in our mid to late 40s. Uh, not everybody. Sometimes it hits them in their 30s. There, there was a report out a, a year ago that said that millennials are hitting it in their late 20s, which sounds awful to me uh, to not uh, have lived longer, to have made more choices so that you could actually balance things out. But in the 40s, uh, it hit me hard and I needed to get away. I needed to be alone. And mountains are always sort of my calling, the place that I can go do that. And I love the Himalayas, so I decided to go back. So just to give listeners a, a perspective, um, you know, here in America, some of the most famous mountains, of course, are, are the Rocky Mountains here in Denver. And, and those are at 14,000 feet. We talk about the 14ers of Denver. You're talking about mountains that are twice as high as that. Uh, just to give a little little perspective, you know, that's lack of oxygen, that's sometimes lack of resources. It takes a different tenacity just in your own body awareness and the mental and the physical to just be at this altitude, let alone trek like you were talking about. I, I just like to give people perspective of, you know, this, this wasn't just a little journey to, to a destination. This was really truly changing everything about what you thought, what you believed and how you acted in a, a tenacious way. And I love what you always say about, you know, I had to get lost to find, find myself. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the, the mountains of, of Nepal give you different challenges. And uh, this trek started out in an odd way in that uh, I had to take a bus ride several days to get past what they call the foothills of the mountains to get back in further. And then I went as far as buses and transportation could take me. And at that point in time, I had to start um, actually walking and trekking. And it was in that first day that I, I, I really discovered quickly that my map that I had and the directions I had weren't going to serve me well and that I was really going to have a tough time of it. And <laughs> because I had originally planned to go to Everest, there was going to be tea houses along the way that I could spend the night in at the end of each night and have food available to me. There were none of those on this trip. Uh, I discovered quickly that there was no tourist or trekker facilities at all. And all I had with me was two canteens with water and a case of cliff bars. I had 12 cliff bars with me. And so I had very little resources. Uh, and I had to really fend for myself quickly to figure out how I was going to handle all that. And the other four letters that are in my, my word, which I use trip since I got lost on a trip, Tenacious resilience, uh, imagination, and purpose make up my acronym of TRIP, and I suddenly had to be resilient. I had to find ways to bounce back each day after spending the night and find the next place where I was going to get something to eat the next day and where I was going to sleep the next night, and trying to find my way to civilization again became a big part of this acronym because I had to use my imagination as to how to make sure that I didn't get sick, which I eventually did anyway because of the bad water. And I, and I had to figure out what my purpose was. What the heck is this being lost in the Himalayas all about? And what am I trying to do for myself? And what am I trying to accomplish? And what is this going to lead to when I get home? So everyday mindfulness. Uh, we talk about mindfulness being the practice of being present in the moment with non-judgment. Non and I love the intersection of, of the tenacity and the mindfulness. Can you maybe share a story or an example of where where you utilize both of these skills to help you come out out of both the, the journey, but also into your new life. Yeah, actually it started to happen on the first night. I, I was towards the end of the first day of hiking and because I had clothing and boots that were made to go to Everest, they were developed for much higher altitudes and much colder altitudes. I had started out in the foothills of the Himalayas, which had a lot more of a jungle atmosphere. I knew I would break out into higher elevations and get to tree line and timber line and, and get into those colder regions eventually. But I, at the end of my first day, I had 23 blisters on my feet because my boots were way too hot. The socks were the wrong socks. Uh, there wasn't anything much I could do about it except try to medicate and take care of them. And at the end of that first day, I had no place to spend the night. I had passed by a couple of small huts that had people in them. And I came to one where there was this little boy by the side of the road and uh, the path, uh, the trekking path that I was on. And he actually spoke a little bit of English. And I uh, talked with him and he got his parents to let me spend the night. And I ate dinner in their hut. They cooked me dinner. Uh, the little boy kind of translated for the parents. And being mindful of what I was in and being so grateful for having people that were sort of looking out for me a little bit, that would, were going to give me a, a meal, that would, were going to give me a place to sleep, and that were so kind and loving and warm. It, I, I had to be very in the moment to understand what I had been gifted with and take advantage of it and be very, very grateful for it. But what happened later after the meal was 
they took me to where I was going to sleep at a little lean-to behind their hut, and there was a 1,200-pound water buffalo <laughs> that was in this lean-to, and the little boy had put straw out next to it, and he said, you can sleep next to him. He's very warm. And as I laid down in my sleeping bag and looked up at the stars, and I'm laying next to this stinky 1,200-pound water buffalo, it was like, wow, I am... How, how can you not be present in a moment like that and be so grateful that you've had a meal, you've got a place to sleep, you've got a, 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 a very crude animal next to you? You can't be anything but in the moment in those situations. And I wrote about that that night extensively after I got home because it really raised a lot of thoughts and a lot of things for me in my own heart. Well, and that's what I, I think is so transformative about these times is so many people wait to go on a trip to have a global experience or their two weeks of vacation to be mindful and yet we can take that same skill of mindfulness into leadership situations and into life and growth experiences so I'd be curious you know you've had many many years um, of learning and applying these lessons. How do you apply those lessons that you learned in Nepal into your speaking business, into your financial planning work, and, and into, on some level, you're, you get to, you're 71, you're also celebrating this new chapter of renewment. I'm, I'm not a fan of the word retirement, I'm a fan of the, the word renewment. How are you still applying these tenacity lessons in your life today? Well, I kind of have to point to my dad. He died two months ago, he was 97 years old, and he was really um, the epitome of tenacity. He had had both knees, both hips, and both shoulders replaced. He was wearing a pacemaker uh, with a defibrillator. He'd had prostate cancer. I mean, the list goes on and on. But he was a, a, he was a hunter and a fisherman. That's where I learned my love of the mountains. And even after I had gotten home from Vietnam and had tried to start to reintegrate myself back into society, uh, God and the universe started to show up with things that were helping me get back into that. I, I actually taught biofeedback years ago and was recently published in the biofeedback magazine about how I have used what we called biofeedback or uh, attaining the alpha level of brainwave activity back in the 70s and how that has been transitioned now into how we use it to be able to do mindfulness today because they have the same components. It's learning to slow your mind down enough to be able to focus. And in leadership, in sales, in marketing, and all of the things that we talk about these days that people need to have nailed down in business and in their personal lives come from being able to be quiet. And if there was nothing I got more of than <laughs> on my time being lost, it was quiet because I had nobody to talk to. And when you learn to be able to not so much meditate, but be in the moment and let your brain slow down so that you can really absorb where you are, what you're feeling at the time, how you can handle situations that you're being confronted with, that slowing down of the brainwave activity means everything because you then are able to focus and be more mindful of the decisions you make. Poor decisions get you nowhere. No decision doesn't get you anywhere, but it is a decision in and of itself. But learning to make good decisions because you're mindful of them and in a leadership position, that's, that's really paramount. So you're, you're an expert in this, and I, and I want to highlight that both from the academic 
um, portion of what you've learned over the years and your life experience. And I think that's also a key tenant of tenacity is that willingness to say, I don't know, and I'm going to walk through this and I'm going to learn. And certainly, you know, when you landed in Nepal, you didn't know how your, your path was going to unfold in a new way and how your path now as a professional speaker is unfolding and certainly writing this book. And yet you're seeing such great success. The book was named a 2018 NIEA award finalist. And you're now embarking upon a new life journey. As you mentioned, your, your dad has, has passed away and you get to step into the newness of, of being, being a new man on, on the planet. And you spent so much time with him and you are embarking on a new journey. You're going to be going to Australia for three weeks. I'm curious, how are you going to take the trip, the T, the R, the I, and the P, and apply it as you start to plan your trip to, to Australia? And, and how can we use that as we plan our 2019s? Well, I'm going with a buddy of mine that I, I have traveled with a couple of times over the years. And uh, we are going primarily because he is a marshal and a flagger for Formula One Grand Prix. And the Melbourne Australia Grand Prix is going to be going on for four days while we're down there, and he'll be working. And as is always the case with me, when I get to a new country, all I want to do is explore. Uh, I want to get into the outback. I want to do some things along the coast. Uh, I want to develop some business opportunities while I'm over there. I'm going to be talking to some people in Sydney and in Melbourne. And it's exciting to be my age. Well, let me go step back a second. There's a song that says something like, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I'm taking that and turning it around and saying, oh, but I know what I want to know now to be able to use it now. I don't need to go back into time from when I was younger with that knowledge. I've got it today. If I take that knowledge today and use my mindfulness the way I like to use it and really plan out what I want to accomplish, but yet still have that adventurous exploratory attitude about, well, if it doesn't turn out the way I think it's going to, something else is going to happen and I'm going to get to deal with that. That's where the fun comes in. I think we have to have fun with mindfulness. It has to be one of those things where you don't quite know what to expect, but you got to step out there. You've got to take action and see what happens. And the outcome isn't always what you want. It may be better or it may be worse than you have to deal with it like on my trip. But going to Australia has been sort of a goal of, for a long time. And I was dad's caretaker for the last number of years and lived with him for a while. And so, yes, there's a new sense of freedom that I'm having, which is sort of uh, got a little melancholy kind of twist to it. But I don't think he'd want me to sit at home and and not enjoy life. He'd want me to get out and do the things that he's watched me do all my life and to keep doing them. And so uh, Australia is going to be a time of exploration and adventure and a lot of fun, I think. So we're going to take the, the T. So how does the T apply to this new beginning for you? T is the tenacity, right? T? Yes. And when you consider that I spent close to 40 some years in insurance and financial planning, and now becoming a professional speaker and author, you have to be a bit tenacious to push through all the challenges of all the stuff you don't know. And I'm, I'm really learning from all my friends in National Speakers Association, uh, my friends that I have learned with in the past from Toastmasters. I've got groups that are helping me with my book marketing. It's a whole new adventure of a whole new business that I have really um, 
just a very short amount of experience about. So being tenacious in all of these new things that are coming along is not giving up and not getting to dis, uh, discouraged at any point. Because like with everything in life, when you take on something new, it's got a roller coaster to it. You're going to be up one day and down the next without what the experiencers are like. And being tenacious means you push through those with a knowing, if you will. And you and I have talked about knowing before, Holly, that knowing is one of those aspects of life that you just have to know things are going to turn out right. You lay out the map and the, the game plan, but there's going to be twists and turns that you're going to have to uh, adjust to and have tenacity to push through. And those are the kinds of things, I guess I almost have come to the point where I look forward to. So what are we going to do with the R? Well, resilience is where I'm kind of at right now. I'm bouncing back from taking care of my father. I use that term in my keynote that resilience has a bounce back factor. If you know when you're getting down to the bottom and you can sense it and you can feel it, that's the time for you to really, really work hard at re-energizing yourself. Get enthused and excited about what it is that you're going to be wanting to go do, what you want things to, to transfer to. And that bounce back factor, if you use that, you can en enlist the help of a lot of other people because they get excited about your excitement. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's nothing better than being excited about a project. You're so ready to get up in the morning. You really want to get to work. I've been waking up at five o'clock the last couple, two or three days, and I've had a lot of new thoughts on my mind. I get up, I write them down, I hit the computer, I try to get stuff put into words right away because all of those things are starting to come to, now, to me now because I'm ready for them. And so, so then how does the I fit in? Well, imagine, that's where the imagination is. You get the resilience that helps you bounce back, but then you've got to use your imagination to be able to push forward from there. Imagination is all that creativity that the biofeedback taught us about. Creativity hits at that alpha brainwave level. When you have mindfulness, you slow down into the alpha brainwave level where all that creativity is at, and that's where imagination comes in. And if there's anything my dad taught me was all the fun in life is when you use your imagination. <laughs> It's that childlike quality that we all really enjoy to have. And when it's, when it's right in your forefront and you can enjoy yourself, uh, wow, life is good. And then I know you're heading into purpose, which is the last of the four letters. Purpose for me has, been, has meant different things at different times in my life. I have volunteered all my life in a variety of different charities, and I found purpose in volunteering for those charities. And uh, I think that purpose now for me is to kind of re-explore who I am after my father's passing and find a purpose for me that will move me forward with my speaking. I want to do nothing more than help people. And I think that all my life experiences and the trip system is full of that. It will give people lots of ideas that they can take their, their business, their personal life, their relationships to the next level. Well, Keith, I am so grateful that you are my friend and that we have had so many great adventures together with many more to come. And I, I really just want to invite people in 2019 to look at how you can set aside any thoughts of age discrimination or those types of things and really become friends across the generations. We hear a lot about Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z or whatever. And I, I hope that our friendship is a role model for, for others to say, how can we grow across the generations? Because you inspire me so much. And I know 
that you know my my work is is also helping you and we are able to explore this i, I call it kind of a reverse co-mentorship you mentor me on things and i mentor you on things and we get to grow the life trip because of our willingness to set aside a society that says this shouldn't happen or that shouldn't happen to live mindfully that oneness you talked about that family that took you in 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 us in um, in nepal and i know you're going to have those same connecting experiences that there's a oneness factor here that we all have to connect to our own life trip with tenacity and fun honor the vulnerable moments of your dad's passing and honor the celebratory members of uh, moments of the recreation of it and and i'm so excited um to share this trip journey in nepal and i hope you'll come back on the show and share your journey in australia as well I'd be happy to. That'd be fun. Thank you. Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, and be sure to let us know how to get a hold of you. KeithRenninson.com. Make sure you've got four N's in Renninson. Um, it's, it's easy to find me. You can just Google my name. I'm, I guess I'm looking forward to this up, upcoming year just to be a year of, of renovation and rejuvenation and getting back into doing the things that I love to do. And I would encourage people to, now here we are in January, everybody's planning, setting goals. You know, be sure to plan in your mindfulness time. I try to set a time on my calendar every day for 10 to 15 minutes to go sit and be quiet. And you can do it in your car, you can do it in a park, you can do it in your home. Mindfulness is a big part of our lives these days, as chaotic as things are. And I would encourage people to really take time to learn how to do it in their own life. Well, thank you for that great mindfulness tip. Again, it's Keith Renninson, and I'm just going to spell that, R-E-N-N-I-N-S-O-N. We'll include all the links to your website and your email in the show notes. Thank you so much, Keith, for sharing your experience. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Holly. appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more mindfulness every day, visit EverydayMindfulnessShow.com and download the three-day challenge and experience the ABCs of mindfulness. Mm -hmm.